What's up, soccer players? On this episode of the Soccer Fitness Experience, we have a guest, Aiden Taylor, on the podcast. He is here to talk to us about how you, as a soccer player, can help to construct your own speed and agility routine that can help you get stronger, faster, more agile on the field. So hope you enjoy the episode. Let's start off very, very basic. Will a six-pack help me as a soccer player? Logically. Why pre-game meals are important. If you do strength training, you can generate more force on the ground. It will take you less stride to get to that ball. Until you get there, you can make that up with hard work and dedication and training. On top of it, right? So if you're a player that has little to no training history, imagine the, the gains and speed that you can get in such a short period of time because you're doing things. This is why strength training is important. I don't care how you do your strength training. I don't you know some people like to go to the gym. I just wanted to double down on that really quick. The point is you have to get stronger. What's up, soccer players? Welcome to the latest episode of the Soccer Fitness Experience. It is me, your co-host, Andy, with my man, man, Berg. Berg, how you doing today, bro? Feeling great, man. Feeling great. Listen, today was easy. Snowstorm, oh. all the patient cancel. Well, 22 patient cancel in the clinic. Oh, so very boy. light amount of work, man. I'm, I feel refreshed. Oh, How about you, man. bro? How are you doing? Oh, I woke up. I, I was supposed to start work at 7. I had telehealth at 8. Had another telehealth at 10. Another one at 10.30. Went to clinic. Saw about three, four people. Um, then I went up to North Hoboken, got my COVID shot, and oh. I'm already starting to feel a little weird. This is dose number two for me, so they say this one's a little bit tougher than the first. So we'll see. I got tomorrow off though, so we chilling. Oh, lucky you, man. Getting yeah, off and whatnot. None of that out here. We work all day long, bro. Yeah, you don't get vacation days. I I get, to, but I don't. I rarely take them. Oh, okay. <laughs> i do <laughs> oh man but today is not about me or you right we have special guest aiden taylor aiden welcome to the show thank you for joining us and yeah let's let's get to know you learn about you and your journey oh cool, yeah thanks for having me on um yeah i'm aiden so i guess most people that know of me will know me through complete football performance which is my instagram which i started a year ago now, so last January. Um, but yeah, I've, I'm a strength and conditioning coach in Perth in Australia. And yeah, started off in like Australian rules, which is, I guess, you guys would know nothing about um, before moving into like, <laughs> before moving into like private sector stuff and now pretty much almost exclusively working with, with footballers or, or soccer players, depending, I guess, we're the only guys that, that call it soccer, hey? Um, but yeah, I've, I've done my master's in strength and conditioning and yeah, master's. that's about it. Yeah. Wow. So you got to have a master's degree in strength and conditioning there, huh? Yeah. It's, it's, it's big on like sports science and the, oh, okay. the science side of it. So a lot of my, a lot of my studies were like very research based and okay. you can definitely come out of those courses without knowing a lot of how to actually coach, but that's, that's another story. Okay. Very interesting. Um, I'm kind of curious. So like, I know there's, there's a few people out there that are, that aim to work in, in this field. Um, I know personally when I was going through undergrad at Temple, I was a kinesiology major there and our, our program was very much focused in 
kind of more of the basic sciences, um, like anatomy, physiology, exercise physiology. And like you said, it wasn't too much about coaching. Um, when you say it was kind of focused on science, are you speaking more of sports science and, yeah, and metrics and things like that? Or kind of what was your, your coursework like for you? Yeah, de- definitely a similar, a similar stuff. And I think, I think that stuff's important. You need to have a basic understanding of the anatomy and all of that. But um, if you're not putting that into practice and actually coaching, you sort of, one, you don't know how to apply it, but two, you don't really retain that knowledge. If you're not using it, you just sort of, you forget everything. But, um, but yeah, it, it definitely wasn't a lot of the actual art of coaching. It's more the, the nuts and bolts, that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that's sports science um, around here. Like the people that work mostly with the, with the players in the United States, strangely enough, it's, it's well, primarily it's the coaches um, and then strangely enough, athletic trainers. Now, I don't know if it's because there is a, a money aspect of it because athletic trainers, I, I guess, I don't know what the pay is, but I don't, I don't think it's as much as if you had like a PT working straight on the field. They, they, they tend to hire athletic trainers here for some reason. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, kind of want to learn more about, you know, why and if you follow – um, complete FP on Instagram. Your your posts are amazing, by the way. Like, Thank I remember, you. I think when when you first made your account, I I followed it pretty early, and I'm like, yo, this guy, it's it's kind of fuego. Like, it was like boom, 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 everything you need to know. So if you're out there, definitely give it a follow, complete FP. But um, speed and agility always a a hot topic for soccer players. They always want to improve it, regardless of their their size or their position. Um, to you, what is speed and is it different from agility? And, and like, can you define those for us? Yeah. So I guess agility is probably the main thing that's like misunderstood. Everyone knows what speed is. If you've ever been outrun, you know, the slow guys want to get faster and keep up the fast guys want to exploit their speed more, but the agility side and you've seen the, the speed ladder posts, the agility ladder posts, and it's, it's definitely the most misunderstood thing, not just in speed and stuff, but probably all of like performance training. Um, and when we talk about agility, it's people love to say that it's this reactive thing and it is, but the change of direction component is still probably the biggest thing that can impact agility. So there's all these different reactive drills that people like to do, but if we're not, reacting to something that is the game i don't think that we're improving agility uh, if that makes sense Hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah in my in my opinion like we can't improve agility without actually playing the sport or playing some form of the sport so when i'm thinking of training agility it's how can we improve your change of direction speed and then that will in turn improve agility that, that I think is the most controllable part of training agility. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So he's, he's got a, he's got a different opinion on, on, on it. Like for us and in my thinking, um, I do think it's agility is two part. Like the first part, you know, the, the, 
the basic movement mechanic, change of direction mechanic, you have to teach that, that's teachable. And the reactive part really, um, yeah, you can do some drills to make um, players re rehack, which is closer to the game than you know, actually playing, but you don't really get the, like you said, yeah. I agree with what you said. You don't I, yeah, really I, I, yeah. Do, I guess, yeah, sorry. Do you <laughs> I guess the coach. Yeah. Now I go, go, I go, I go, I go, I go. I guess for the coaches, they will have a better understanding of how, how we can improve reactive, like pure agility, reactive movement better than a player. But I think a lot of players, when they're trying to design their own agility program, they're going to be spending time doing things that aren't necessarily actually going to improve on-field performance. Okay. Let's go back a bit on, on the, the speed program. Uh, so you, you went out there, created an Instagram just to help soccer players with speed and agility. Now, how did that, what's the story behind that? How did that come about? Is it because you saw a bunch of terrible Instagram posts about speed and agility <laughs> and you decided to take matters into your own hands? Like, what, what, what brought this up? Yeah, I, to be honest, like I can't really remember what triggered me to make the page, but I was definitely looking for some way where I could just like put all my ideas down and one, hopefully, hopefully it helped other people, but like I definitely didn't foresee it gaining as much traction as it did. Um, I was more looking for a way that I could get my ideas into a post and like sort of formulate them to something more concise just for like myself to figure out. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that that was that was one of the main reasons I started just writing and, and making posts. Yeah, that that also helped with creativity too. And yeah, people yeah. asking questions gets you thinking a little bit more. Okay. Let's see. Okay. Um so let's go back to what you said before with the change of direction <clears throat> being the most one of the factors that you as a fitness or strength and conditioning coach can influence the most and thus improve your agility. Um, because there's several factors that go into agility, right? There's the change of direction, uh, the cognitive component, the muscular strength, the muscular power. Um, but out of all of those, you feel like the change of direction is the most important or the most easily influenced at, at some stages in an athlete's career. But see, I'm, I'm curious because in my mind, I feel like almost the mental is more important, right? Because if the cognitive process is slowed down, then that's going to result in all of the motor aspects below it being a little bit slower. And with changing direction, do you feel like that truly transfers from an athlete doing it in a, a closed environment like a drill mm -hmm. to them doing it in minutes 75, 80 of a match when they're fatigued. Yeah. 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 That, this is one of the things that I myself, like I had a different, completely different perspective on it even six months, a year ago. Um, I was definitely into all those sort of reactive partner drills where you're shuffling and trying to, you know, the one where you're facing each other, trying to mirror each other's yeah. movements. Yeah. So just from my perspective, this is something that I've read a lot about and there's always going to be this um, division in opinions from coaches, whether you can train that perceptual cognitive aspect of agility in, in a drill that isn't actually the sport. Because when you 
when you're in a sport, when you're in a game, you have all these different factors, psychological, um, all the different movements of other players, where the ball is. If you don't have that in your drill, I think the transfer can be quite limited. So I'm not, I'm not saying that perceptual cognitive side isn't important because it definitely is. Um, but you find that players with lots of experience just playing games already have that just developed through playing lots of games without having to do all of these reactive agility drills, if that makes sense. Okay. So you feel like this apply? Uh, you feel like, I'm, I'm thinking, just thinking about what you said and the applicability of it. You feel like... Um, like all the players, they want to train agility. They 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 much better of actually playing and playing games and you know doing playing games and training. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah. Younger kid who don't have the basic motor pattern yet. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah. So I, obviously, the playing lots of games and that should be a part of a young player's development anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think when we're looking to improve agility and change of direction, it's just more the focus should be on closed change of direction drills, something that we can um, have a lot of control over and follow logical progressions. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I don't, I think I think the pendulum has just swung a bit too far in terms of reactive drills, where I think we can just move it back a little bit and go back to like there's. When, when people see these change of direction drills, which are um, pre-planned movements, a lot of people are just very critical of that and saying, well, agility is reactive. But I think there's a lot more benefits to those closed change of direction drills than is perceived by players and, and some coaches. I really like that. I really, that's a very interesting viewpoint. Um, because even myself, I have, let's say, a, a cognitive bias, and I feel like that's that's one of the more important pieces. But I think of you, you, you really bring up a really good point. Because let's say you're you're doing agility, or you your goal is to do some agility work um, in a warm up before a session. When they go out and they do their technical drills, and if they're competing, and there's any competition from one player to another they're going to be reacting to each other cognitively and they're going to be tracking each other whenever they're defending or attacking one-on-one. But what they might not get is that change of direction component that we, we both know is important. Um, that part is what's often missing from the agility piece. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So when, when we do add reaction and, and all these different cognitive components, we might lose some of that actual change direction, um, like the intensity in the movements, the intent with the movements. So like you make, if you're you're just playing small sided games, yes, you're gonna get better at reading the game and all that, but you might not actually be doing all these hard change of direction, these hard cuts at speed. So you're losing that um, physiological component of of the change of direction training. You, you might not, but you, you don't have the control over that sort of thing. Whereas if you have a closed change of direction drill, you can control how fast the approach speed is, how, how, how hard the angle is that you're cutting, all the things like that. Okay. I like this. I like this. So let's say you're a player out there and you do want to improve your, your change of direction mechanics. 
um, what things do you have to include some must things that, that you think are the most important in able to do that if you don't have many resources? Yeah. And, and that's tough if you don't have a coach or someone, someone to look at you, how you actually move. But if we're just talking exposure to change of direction, I think there's a few different variables we can um, adjust and control to create different outputs. So things that I spoke about before, how's your approach speed into the change of direction? How hard is the angle? Obviously a slighter cut is going to be a bit different to turning 180 or turning 90 degrees to your right. Um, those, those are two big things, but I think just getting a variety of, um, a variety of different drills to just get you expo ex sorry, exposure to different movement patterns. Um, but yeah, I think keeping it very simple can be very effective with those sorts of things, especially in a, in an area which has loads of different fancy drills, I guess. So from my, from my understanding of what you just said, and correct me if I'm wrong, so a, a progression um, is definitely needed if you're planning to make your own agility drill. You can start from like a wider angle of turn and then make it more acute. And then you can also, the, the variable you can control is the angle of the cut from wide to um, sharp. And then yeah. the speed at which you, 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 you're running that's a, another variable you can change. Yeah. And, and we can also make it more, uh, not reactive necessarily, but reduce the amount of time that we have to um, prepare for that cut. So you could have, for example, and it's hard to do by yourself, um, that, that is a problem. But if you have a, just a training partner, you can have a pre-planned cut, but maybe you have two different options. Mm -hmm. One's to the left, one's to the right. And then you can start off with the, your, your partner telling you which direction to go, maybe three seconds before you do the cut. And then to progress that, you just give them a little bit less time right before they're about to cut, point one direction. And that reduces the um, amount of time that you have to prepare, which is going to put a bit more load through the, the leg that you're cutting off. And I think that's, that's another benefit of all these drills. It's giving you preparation for the worst case scenario from an injury prevention standpoint. Because when we're doing those hard cuts, it's a lot of, that's, that's when we can get those ACL injuries, that sort of thing. Um, so if we're preparing for the worst case scenario and getting that exposure in training where it's a bit more controlled and we can follow a logical progression with these things, the speed of approach, the cut of the angle, how much time you have to prepare for the cut, then I think we're, I think we can better prepare our players for when they have to do that in a game. And it's very fast approach, hard cutting back, you know, 145 degrees with like almost no reaction time. Uh, I think I'm finally getting it now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think I'm finally getting it. Cause the whole time I was trying, I'm thinking in my head like, okay, what is Aiden, uh, is Aiden pro reactive agility drill or is he not? Like, I'm, to get <laughs> I'm like, wait, yeah, yeah. Like, where we go? So I get it now. Now you, you want to focus a little bit more on, and this is my understanding of the basic everything you just said. You want to, you want players to focus a little bit more on 
close agility drill, just to ingrain those motor pattern, right? Before yeah. you, you go into reactive. You know, when, when those motor pattern gets ingrained, there's a less chance for injury. Um, I guess the reactive portion will be even faster because the movement is already learned. Is that, yeah. is that, is that, am I going the right direction here? Yeah, I, I think so. And yeah, the whole time I'm like, hmm. <laughs> what is this yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. Like, if, if, like, again, yeah, this, this is my thought process. Like when I started thinking well, about okay. all this, like, like, we, we like last this. year, ago. We like that kind yeah, of yeah. Well, that's like, I was having this fight in my head. Like, how do I, how do I approach this change of direction component with my training? Like, I, I almost flipped the switch, sort of. Um, when you when you think about yeah, it, I, it makes yeah, sense. I, you know, when you when you're trying to teach someone to play soccer, um, I guess um, I guess everywhere else what they do it, you know, they start slow, they start with the basic movement, passing, and then you integrate into a game. Yeah. Like here in the United States, they just want the kids to play right away without teaching yeah. them anything. Yeah, I, I think it's just getting more of what they they aren't getting in a game, which is potentially those, excuse me, those hard changes of direction, they might only be doing, um, depending on the types of drills and types of games they're doing, they might not be exposed to those hard changes direction. And that's similar to when we get into the speed stuff, we want to focus on what they're not getting in training with your external um, gym programs, speed programs, whatever it is. Now let, let's let's go a little bit uh, into. I want to. I want to hear your thought on the reactive portion of the agility part. Yeah. Um, let's say you you did all the closed chain drill, um, closed um, agility drill. Now, now how do you progress from the closed one to open chain? Like, do you do like um, you start with like a three versus three, five versus five, eight versus? How, how is that progression for you? Yeah. Yeah. So. Again, I think, it, I think it does depend on what you're doing in your other training. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't particularly use those sorts of um, 2v2, 3v3 drills because most of the time we're doing that sort of thing in like small-sided games. Okay. So if that's the case, that's when I would more focus on the closed changes direction drills. Can I get them exposed to doing like a hard 90-degree cut? Mm-hmm. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I get you. Yeah, that, that's, that's my perspective. Um, but yeah, I think for me, the reactive side of it is more with that change of direction training, the reaction side of it is more how can we prepare them for preparing, preparing for that cut with as little as time for their brain to sort of... Um, okay, I got it. I got you. We like we want them to be we want them to have the ability to tr- to change direction with little preparation time, and we want to reduce that reduce that. Change direction with intensity with short time. I really like that. Yeah. Um, so. Anything? I, I guess the yeah, you, and you can't be reactive without without. I guess we got proper training. I mean, without proper prep. Like if you, you know, let's say you are, I guess, a military guy or a police officer, and you you shoot a gun, right? You, you the, the the Navy SEAL, and they go into 
a compound. They open the door and then they're able to react and see who's the bad guy, who's not the bad guy. But they train intensively for that in closed environment. Okay, so it's the same approach here with with, with so- Okay, I got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you don't necessarily get that with, with things like mirror trills. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You don't. You know. And and potentially you could, but sometimes the intensity just might not be there. They might not get that movement. I know. I know. There's certain types of players that when you give them some competition, they'll go very hard. But sometimes they'll just cruise through. Whereas if you give them a set speed to run at and you give them a set um, pathway to go they don't really have a lot of option but to do what that is designed in that drill i gotta say man this is the first time i'm i'm, I'm hearing you know that thought process this is yeah. good though i i feel like <laughs> this is one of the first episodes guys in in a while where we are actively being challenged yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking throughout the whole thing I was like, huh this is this is interesting um, one of the things I did kind of want to bring up, though, is, and we, we kind of alluded to it, but all of this requires a plan, right? I, I th- and I think this is one of the things that players don't often have when it comes to improving agility is having no plan with it and kind of just, you know, showing up on the field and doing whatever quote-unquote agile movements you feel like doing that day. But um, if you think of everything Aiden kind of mentioned, it's okay, there's a structure. There, there is an intentional starting point with an intentional goal. And with each step along the way, you are, you are going in a specific direction. Um, so that's one of the things I really wanted to point out for the players is um, even if you, you're not an expert, right, at, at designing agility programs for yourself, um, the, the worst you can do is say, hey, I'm going to do quote-unquote agility work Mondays and Wednesdays prior to my training. And I'm going to do it with a partner and we're going to run out of cone and he's going to tell me to change direction. And I'm going to do that for four weeks. And then maybe we're going to change it up by, by doing a drift, different drill at that time. But at least you're, you're sticking to some sort of schedule and you can, you have time to brainstorm and you're able to, to progress hopefully in a logical way. Yeah. And I think, I think some people might view my perspective on it as a bit too simplistic and, you're breaking it down too much. But if we, if we can do that and break it down to those sort of few, few variables that we can control, that makes, I think that makes it a bit easier for players to sort of follow a, a simple progression and, and plan ahead. Cool. So what are some of the most common mistakes you see with agility um, that players on their own are often doing? I know we, we talked a little bit about agility ladders. Do you want to give your quick spiel as to why they they don't work um personally yeah we we had a debate on this but i'm sure i actually know you got some you got some fuego on this too yeah we we had an episode where we destroyed agility ladder i guess for the people who use it (laughs) for speed (laughs) in agility yeah you're just not creating any force no displacement there's no actual speed to it your feet are just moving in the same spot. You're not actually going anywhere. Like in sport, you want to go from one place to the other as quickly as possible. So it doesn't make much sense that you're doing a drill where you're not creating any force or displacement in a nutshell. <laughs> it's, this, uh, this is the simplest way and the best way to answer. You, know, you need to generate force in order to go from point A to point B and you're not, you're not doing that when you do a ladder drill. 
Yeah, and I, I think what you just said that really will drive it home for the common player out there is you are not going anywhere. If you're being agile, you are going somewhere. And on the ladder, you're going maybe, you know, two, three meters at a very slow speed, often at a low intensity. Um, yeah, you're not going anywhere. That's a great way to put it. I like that. Yeah, and, and the, the pushback on that is usually it's creating better footwork. But with these drills, it's just an, an arbitrary footwork pattern. It's nothing specific. And coordination is specific to the task. So if you're not practicing something that is going to be used in a game, then it's, you can't really say that it's definitely going to improve your footwork. One thing that I kind of just thought of is DDR, the video game, with the arrows that you dance on. <laughs> and I, it kind of just came to my mind, would an agility ladder make you better at playing DDR? And to uh, me, the answer is probably not, right? Like, so if it doesn't work for DDR, why would it work in football? I, I you know? don't know if you've seen the post I've made. There was, there was a study, and you can take it with a grain of salt, as with all studies, but there was a control group, an agility ladder group, and a group that did um, Just Dance 2014 or something, like one of those <laughs> dance video games. And that group was had better agility or a better change of direction results than the agility ladder group. So if that, if that doesn't say, if that doesn't say something, then, then yeah. Very, very interesting. Um, <laughs> let's switch to speed now. Cause we're running out of time here. Yeah, um, yeah. Some, some things that players must include in their speed routines. If they're trying to construct a program on their own. Yeah. For me, focus on top speed. Again, it's getting more of what you don't get in games. And mm. if, you look at, if you look at some GPS data um, of players, especially in training, it's going to be a lot of short, sharp accelerations. So although some people are thinking, well, I want to be more specific to what I'm doing in a game, you also want to have that exposure to top speed because eventually you're going to get that through ball over the top and you're going to want to run through at your top speed and that's probably the most important parts of the game when you do reach your top speed. So you don't want your game to be the first time that you're exposed to sprinting at max velocity. That's, that's my opinion of it. So doing more um, flying sprints, doing more longer sprints in your training, um, I think that's one of the biggest things missing with their training. Yeah, that is, yeah. That is true. I feel like people focus a lot more on acceleration and maintaining top speed <laughs> also depends on the, I guess, well, you, like you said, um, a lot of it also depends on the, your, your, your coach, the coach, the formation the coaches is running with. If you're playing counterattack, you better believe you better practice that yeah. a lot. Yeah. And th those are the, those are the game breaking moments when you reach your top speed, that's chasing down that last, that attacker for a one V one that's getting onto that through ball. And that's for, yeah. that's for defenders and forward as well. Yeah, everyone, everyone, needs, everyone needs speed. I'm not sure a keeper, I guess. But. <laughs> well, even then, maybe. Even um, then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's super important because um, I, I actually have one of those little GPS trackers. And there is a clear difference when you look at the data of feeling fast 
and actually running at your top speed. Um, the other day, I just went to go play pickup, and it was about eight aside on one of those um, those half pitches that you kind of cut the soccer field into thirds, and you're kind of playing right there, maybe 50, 55 meters long. And there are t- several times where I'm like, I'm sprinting, I'm fast, I am moving. And I look at my GPS data at the end, number of sprints, <laughs> zero, zero. <laughs> and I look at the top speed, 21 kilometers. And my personally, like if I go out and do sprints, I'll reach like 28. And I got to 21 and I'm like, yo, what happened? And often enough, like you look at these, these training scenarios, there's just not enough room to get to top speed. And I think that's one of the things that players really need to realize is for you to hit these top speeds, your, your drill that you set up has to be at least at minimum, I would say 20, 20 meters, because that's when you really start to transition over to those higher speed ranges. And if you're stopping short of that, or the intensity isn't there, you you might as well not do the drill. I think you're wasting your time. Yeah, hundred percent. And yeah, you, you, you can be sprinting hard, but as you said, it takes 15, 20, 25 meters to get up to your top speed. So that's, that's why I'm a big fan of doing those flying sprints. You're, you're sort of doing that slow build up and then you're just focusing on that top speed component, that top speed exposure. Perfect. And what are some things that players don't need to include or some common mistakes you see in players doing their speed programming? Like the garbage. Take the garbage out. Keep it that simple. <laughs> what are the garbage? What are the things yeah. to do? I would say the biggest thing is making it a conditioning session. So if you want to get that top speed exposure, you need to get that rest time. And I, I think a lot of people are aware of this at least now, but they don't put it into practice. Um, and I think a big part of that is just they don't have the patience to rest, you know, two minutes for, for a 30 meter sprint, whatever it is. Um, I think having something to do in the middle of that rest period, whether it's some mobility drills, um, I like to do like some upper body, like strength work or something like that between if you can, um, even like just, just juggling all that very low level drills just gives you something and makes sure you prioritize that rest period. Cause you don't want to sacrifice the rest periods for getting more volume in. Like I've, I've had success with teams and stuff doing as little as two, two reps of 30, 40 meter sprints. And like, that's it. So you don't need to have a lot of volume, but you want to make sure it's high quality work first and foremost. You know, neuromuscular, neuromuscular training. You know what? That's true. Like, yeah, I was training my uh, my Sunday league teammate in, in the summer, and I, I had a hard time. We're training for speed, right? And then I'm like, all right, we're going to take like four to five minutes after each sprint. And we're kind of doing some long sprint too. And nobody wanted to do that. No, he's like, yeah, that's it. This is too much, too much break, too much break. It's like, no, you yeah. need to recover. I just want to get to work, you know? So that's that's when you gotta you gotta have something up your sleeve to sort of keep them entertained without sort of um without sacrificing actually resting and recovering enough. So yeah, I, I think I think another thing that could be removed from a lot of people's training is again not to not to be too dogmatic about it, but there's definitely 
a bit of a pendulum swing towards speed drills. So trying to improve your technique outside of actually moving at high velocities. So things like your Mac drills, your A skips, B skips, stuff like that, like that can still definitely be useful. Um, I would tend to use it in a warm up, but I don't think you need extensive warm ups and drilling before you actually get into the sprint work. Because as we've said, it takes a long time to get through a proper speed session. So if you're doing a 20, 25 minute warm up drills, technique stuff, it's going to eat into your ability to get a proper speed session in. Mm. And that's, that's really where the technique can be improved. Like if you're not moving at your max speed, you, it, you're going to be hard pressed to actually improve your sprinting technique. That's in my opinion. I like it. I like it. Um, so two rapid fire questions for you since we got a, about a minute left yep. here. Uh, one is speed genetic and two, how can you measure speed if you're a player out there? Speed, definitely genetic, but you can always improve. So blaming on genes is just a bit of a cop out answer. Just go out and train. You can get faster always. Um, how can you measure? It's tough. Um, if you haven't got GPS or some sort of um, timing gates, there's, I've, I've got free lap gates, which are pretty good. They're probably the best ones you're going to get under um, a grand or so. Um, I've, I do have a post on how you can measure it with a video. Um, it's, it's hard to explain, I think, over audio. So I might, I might share that on my story once, once we share this episode out. Yes, I don't know sir. If time to explain it. Um, send me the link and you know, I'll put it in the description that way and we'll put it in the story as well. But yeah. Aiden, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing your, your knowledge. And this was v definitely a very interesting one. The best episode in a while. <laughs> All right. So where can the people, where can the soccer players, if they have questions, how do they find you? What are you, what are you doing on Instagram? And tell us more about everything that's going on on your website. Yeah, so the best place to contact me would be on Instagram. So that's at complete FP. Um, I'm pretty good with getting back to DMs and stuff. So any questions, whatever, just hit me up there. Um, if you want to go to my website, that's complete-football.com. And I've got some programs on there, but I'm working on more stuff, um, off-season, in-season programs, and some, some free resources that will hopefully be able to help footballers understand how they can design their own programs yeah all right perfect thanks for having me on appreciate it all right we'll see y'all next week